Welcome to the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Today uh, is a holy day of obligation in the Catholic Church. Go to the holy sacrifice. You know, I don't really say we, we have to go. We get to go. Can you imagine how many religions out there can receive God into their body, into their soul? None. But for the Catholic Church, what, what a gift that we have as Catholics that we can receive the Holy Eucharist, which is Jesus Christ himself here on planet Earth. If people only knew that, we would fill up football and baseball stadiums. Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. My partner Terry, he's out doing some apostolic work. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm reporting for duty. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. Just want to remind you that in December, we pass through the liturgical season of Advent into that of Christmas. Advent represents a time of preparation for the coming of our Savior, the first coming and the second coming. And the liturgical color representative of repentance and humility is violet, except on the third Sunday of Advent, traditionally known as Gaudete Sunday, when the color rose represents the joy of approaching the Christmas season. The Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, celebrated today, December 8th, is the patronal feast of the United States, and it's a holy day of obligation. We also are celebrating the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe as well tomorrow, uh, up until the 12th. And the Christmas season begins with the Vigil Mass of Christmas. The liturgical color is white. And the Church tells us in the Catechism, when the Church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah, for by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for His second coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. Couple, <clears throat> couple of news items before I get into some soul food. Number one, threatening letters allegedly written by members of the radical pro-abortion group Jane's Revenge. They were sent to two churches <coughs> in Omaha. Nebraska on Saturday. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, the first note was discovered taped to the to the St. John Paul II Newman Center near the University of Nebraska's Omaha Scott campus. The Catholic-affiliated center serves as a housing facility and community space for, for students. If our, abor- if our right to abortion in Bellevue is taken away due to the attempt to pass an abortion ban, and it, get, and it gets passed, we will shoot up your Newman Center with our AR-14, our new AR-14 rifles. Sincerely, Jane's Revenge. That's what the note said that was pinned to the Catholic Center. The letter which was addressed to the Newman Center director, Reverend Dan Andrews, was discovered by Students for Life members. Also, an Israeli-American YouTuber by the name of Ethan Klein has called for the shutting down of the Catholic Church and bombing Vatican City. Ethan Klein, who was married to a former Israeli Defense Forces soldier, made the comments during the latest episode of his podcast on YouTube, despite the clear endorsement of terrorism against Catholics on Red Wednesday, no less, when persecuted Christians are remembered, YouTube is refusing to delete the clip and they're allowing the clear call for anti-Christian terrorism to stand. This uh, YouTuber, Ethan Klein, said, I was serious when I said ban the church. Close quote. The Israeli podcaster was also allowed to mock the Eucharist, referring to it as gay, in a deeply unfunny segment. He also tried to make some joke about Pope Pius XII being a drag queen. Another news. 
famous trans hero detransitions. Former Navy SEAL Chris Beck, who for a time presented himself as a trans woman named Kristen Beck, announced last week that he's not transgender and opposes a trans agenda for children. Beck cited his past confusion as an example of why psychologists should not push their agenda on children. And finally, former FBI lawyer backed Twitter censorship. Months after becoming Twitter's deputy general counsel, former top FBI lawyer James Baker appeared to support the big tech company censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story just before the 2020 election. And the revelation comes from a string of internal Twitter messages published on Friday evening by journalist Matt Tybee. Okay. Let's get on to the gospel for today. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. There's a whole lot of meat and potatoes in today's gospel. You'll find, by the way, that uh, as, as a Catholic... It's a good idea. Some people say, how should I read the Bible? Make it very simple. Read the daily Mass readings. First reading, responsorial psalm, gospel. And ask the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then meditate. Ask yourself questions. Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Lord, speak to me. Ponder. Reflect. People say, does God ever speak to you, Jess? Absolutely. Every single day when I read my Bible. Every single day when I read my Bible, he speaks to me. And he speaks to you. So let's see what today's gospel says. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived a son in her old age. And this is a sixth month for her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let me mention that the Catholic Church is the kingdom of Christ in mystery here on earth. In fact, the church and the kingdom of heaven are used synonymously 
in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Now follow me. Jesus is David's promised heir. He's the heir apparent. And the church is his kingdom. We see that in today's gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 33. The Lord had promised David 1,000 years before Jesus that a king in his line would one day rule all the nations and he would reign forever. In fact, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, this promise says in the Old Testament, I will raise up your offspring after you. In other words, David's offspring, who shall come forth from your body and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. That's a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ being born from the line of King David. In Psalm 132, verse 11 to 13, it promises this as, it promises this as well. It says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne, close quote. Well, guess what? Jesus is recognized as the son of David by the people in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 42. And his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the church, is that of David. It actually, it actually says that in the Bible. <clears throat> the kingdom of of Christ is as that of David's, that's found in Scripture in Matthew chapter 21, verse 8, and in Mark chapter 11, verse 10. In fact, the very first words of the New Testament fulfill the promise of the prophets and the longing of Israel, where you see the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. St. Matthew identifies Jesus as the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the clear prophecy of an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, as it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. He's the king of Israel, Mark chapter 15, verse 32, and John chapter 1, verse 49. But he's not only the king of Israel, he's the king of kings. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, and Revelation 19, 16, and 1 Timothy 6, 15. Jesus is also called, I love this one, the King of the Ages, Revelation 15, 13. And guess what? How long is Jesus going to reign? Four years? Six years? Nope, nope. He's going to reign forever, forever. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Now, <laughs> Catholics, along with our Protestant brothers, They'll admit that these passages speak of Christ the King. But here's where they fail to, type, to use typology. They fail to see that the King has a Queen Mother. That's where Mary comes in. The Queenship of Mary logically follows. Hey, that's a wrap. We're going to be moving on. We've got a special guest here, Shane Kapler. We're going to be talking about the biblical roots of Marian consecration. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. What a beautiful thought in today's gospel that the kingdom of Christ is going to last forever. Remember, Christ is not a president. He's not a senator. He's not a congressman. He's not a mayor. He's not a governor. He's not a district attorney. 
He's the king of the ages, the king of kings and lord of lords. And his kingdom will last forever. And guess what? He's got a mother. And the Jews understand this. The most important women in the Old Testament is a queen mother. They call that lady the Gebi Ra. And uh, <clears throat> after just uh, you know reflecting upon that, we got a special guest who's going to be talking about uh, the queen mother, the Gebi Ra. Shane Kepler, he's an author from Tan Books. He's got a book. It's called The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. This is a perfect day to discuss this book on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Shane, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Thanks so much for having me. Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, are you born and raised Catholic? Are you a convert? Are you a revert? Uh, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you, you know, uh, what, what diocese you live in, uh, you know, how sure. long have you been? A, yeah. Jesse, I'm in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, lived here almost my entire life, and uh, I was a revert at a very young age, like went through a crisis of faith in middle school, and Jesus stepped in in a huge way and showed himself to me, but it took a while to um, to come to grips with uh, all things Catholic. That was about a seven-year process. Hmm. So you, you kind of started studying your way, you started unpeeling the onion and crying, <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what happens when you say to the faith, you start like an peeling an onion, and as, as yeah. you get closer to the core, it makes you cry because you say, "Oh no, I got to change that. Oh no, I got to change that. I got to change that." Yeah, it's just a process of surrender. Hey Shane, so uh, you wrote a book, uh, uh -huh. "The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration." Today's a, a perfect day to talk about uh, you know Amen. such such a, a, a subject, a topic like this. Uh, <clears throat> So can you give the listeners, because we've heard this term, we hear it a lot in Catholicism. It's not yeah. something that's, you know, Protestants are really used to hearing, but Catholics, we're used to hearing the word consecration. But I'm sure there's a lot of Catholics that scratch their head. They say, yeah, what does it really mean? So what's the biblical definition of consecration? Well, if we begin in the Old Testament, um, consecrate, it's the Hebrew word kaddish, and it comes from the word holy, kodesh. So when something's consecrated, you're taking it out of common use in this world, and you are handing it over to the Holy One, the one who's totally other, so that now this object or this person, they are exclusively for God's use. And that's why in the Old Testament we hear about the altar, the chalices, the sacrifices being consecrated, but also the priest being consecrated. This is someone completely given over to God. And when we come to the New Testament, we hear about Jesus being consecrated. And when we pray that fourth mystery of the rosary, the presentation in the temple, that's the consecration of the firstborn. Uh, Mary and Joseph are bringing him to be consecrated. And um, Jesus at the Last Supper, he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, for their sake, meaning the apostles and all of us, mm -hmm. I consecrate myself that they also may be consecrated. So the Lord, he hands himself over to the Father through the cross, resurrection, and ascension. And in baptism, he brings us into that and makes us part of his gift, his, his self-offering to the Father. Um, now, in truth, a person can only be consecrated to God. So when we speak of Marian consecration, we're speaking by way of analogy. Just like God is the only true Father, but... okay. We can call our dads fathers because they image God and they play a part in generating us. So they can really bear that name, but by analogy. Same thing. When we talk about consecrating ourselves to Mary, we mean totally 
handing ourselves over to her. Or John Paul II loved to use the word entrustment. Mm -hmm. We're entrusting ourselves to her loving heart, her queenly heart and intercession on our behalf so that we can be perfectly consecrated to Jesus as she was. Yeah, well, that makes sense. It's the whole uh, St. Louis, the Montfort, uh, to Mm -hmm. Jesus through Mary. So in other words, consecration to Our Lady uh, obviously ends up to, you end up in the arms of Jesus Christ because that's uh, exactly what Our Lady's trying to do. It's trying to take us to her son. That makes perfect sense. And I like the fact that you said it comes from this Hebrew word, uh, which uh, Kadesh, which which makes uh, which means that things are used for holy purposes. Something very interesting about that, you know, I in the Old Testament, I've noticed that most things in the Old Testament that were holy were veiled, and I say that because I noticed that there's there's a like a renaissance in the Catholic Church of women going back to the veils, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's a, you know, my wife went back to it years ago, and I see just a lot of people just. Like it's like organic, it's happy, na- happening naturally. Yeah. And uh, you know, my wife just tells people when they ask her, "Hey, Anita, why do, why do you wear a veil?" She says, "Everything in the Old Testament that's consecrated to God is veiled, and women are consecrated to God because of our, our maternity." So that's that's the way she shares it with women and stuff. And I think uh, that's just a, a good way of uh, trying to spread the message. Uh, yeah. Shane, so. Why focus specifically upon consecration to Mary's immaculate heart? Let's get very specific here. Yeah. Oh, great question. Um, Jesse, when we talk about the heart in, in Scripture, the heart is not just emotions. It's not just an organ. It's the absolute center of your being. So the heart is where you you think, you consider, you mm. you choose. It's the heart that loves and it's all—it's the heart that God dwells in. So, when we talk about consecrating ourselves and trusting ourselves to Mary's heart, we're saying we want to entrust ourselves. We want to enter into her interior life with mm. Jesus. We want to share in her prayer, her surrender to Him, and her ability to receive Him into herself, so that His sacred heart can be the center of our life. That's, Our Lady is the disciple par excellence, the one who completely lets Jesus live in her and be born through her into the world. And that is what we want for Christ to be born of our prayer, words, and actions. Jesus told the disciples, the one who does the will of my father is brother, sister, and mother to me. So the whole church, we talk about mother church, and each of us individually want to give birth to the Lord, to share in Mary's mission, the mission of her heart. That's that's a, I like the way you said that you mentioned something about the fact that Mary, uh, in her heart, she, she forms us or molds us, uh, you know, closer to her son. I forgot how you said it right now, but that, that just, that just jumped out at me the way we, the way she molds us, or yeah. by by consecration to Mary, Mary's molding us or changing our hearts into that of her son. Uh, I just found We're, that uh, fascinating. Yeah, it. I love the image in my mind. I think of the Holy Spirit knitting my heart together with Mary's, so that her love for Jesus is beginning to fill my soul also. Oh, that I know what you said. You said. Love. 
Yeah. You said to share in her interior life. That was beautiful. Yes. Consecration is sharing in her interior life. That that's that just I mean fireworks just just went off in my head when you said that. Well, you know, Pope Benedict, he drew attention to this. I should say while he was still Cardinal Ratzinger and he was doing that commentary on the third secret of Fatima, he he talks about Mary's immaculate heart and he brings it right back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure, the immaculate in heart, for they shall see God. And, and that's who Mary is. And she contemplates Jesus. She sees him with a clarity because of that immaculate heart, like no one else. And that's what we want to participate in. Hey, you're listening to um, Shane Kepler here with Jesse Romero, The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. If uh, if there's a book that you're going to get this year on the Our, Our Lady, this is the book you want to get. The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration, tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. Okay, so, uh, Christmas is coming up. This would be a perfect Christmas gift to get oh, your family you. your family closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through Our Lady. Shane, as Catholics, everything mm-hmm. that we do is rooted in divine revelation. That's, that's either scripture or apostolic tradition. So where yeah. can the listener find Marian consecration or entrustment? Can you give us a couple of biblical analogies, again, for somebody that's just tuning in? Yeah, three of them. Okay, let's start one, just logically. Jesus. Nobody could be more entrusted to Mary than Jesus was by God the Father. I mean, he he pours his son into her in the power of the Holy Spirit, mm. and he's born of her. The second is St. Joseph, through his marriage. When we meet Joseph in Scripture, you were just talking about Matthew's Gospel. Joseph is a just man, and that, that word just in Greek it means he's a person who loves God's law, and he lives it with all his heart. So when we meet Joseph, he already has a strong relationship with God. But it's specifically through Mary, by taking her into his home, into his life, by joining his heart to hers in marriage, that he's going to come into contact with the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, G- and Joseph lives in union with Jesus, but only with Mary. And, and that's how he has his role in the Holy Family. And then the third is St. John, who at the foot of the cross, Jesus brings John into this intimacy of the Holy Family. The Lord looks down, and first he says to Mary, behold your son. And then to John, behold your mother. And the gospel says, from that moment on, the disciple took her into his idia. And the Greek word literally means into his own. So we translate it in English as into his home, but it's much, much richer than that. Into his own, into his interior life, into his uh-huh. discipleship with Jesus. And so John, for the rest of his life, he is praying with Mary. He's celebrating the Eucharist with her. He's talking about scripture, looking at the Old Testament and seeing Jesus in the light of it. And the two of them are sharing this. So John's apostleship is marked by his entrustment to Mary. And when we read his gospel, those deep insights that John has into Jesus' person, we are reaping the benefits of his entrustment to Mary. All of us have been participating in that throughout the life of the church. It's just now we're, we're becoming much more explicit in recognizing that, that it's one of the fruits. 
you know, Shane, I've shared that with Protestant brothers when they say, well, Mary's not relevant in Christianity. Yes, she is. I said, John the Apostle at the foot of the cross, you know, I'll use the English translation. I'll say, he took her into his own home. I say, if you're, if you're a disciple of Christ like John is, uh, then we as disciples should take Our Lady into our own home. For Protestants, that makes sense. But when you go into the Greek like you did, it's even deeper. You take oh, yeah. into your interior life, not into your just your home. So it, what you just uh, shared with me right now is even a little bit of a deeper insight to share with Protestants. It's incredible, Jesse. I mean, really, when we think about that, like, and, and look at the morning of the resurrection when John and Peter, they run to the tomb. Shane, Peter hold looks that at, thought. Hold that thought. Okay. We're coming to a hard break. You're listening to Terry and Jesse's show. We've got Shane Kapler here. We're talking about his book, The Biblical Roots of Mary and Consecration. Pick up that book. It's, Christmas is right around the corner. Tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. We'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We've got Shane Kapler, The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration, his new book, tanbooks.com. Pick one up. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. This would be a perfect gift uh, to draw somebody closer to Christ through Our Lady. Uh, Shane, you write about marriage as an analogy for consecration. Can you unpack that for our listeners? Love to. Um, yeah. Jesse, if they look at 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says something that's really shocking. He says, if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and she and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Mm. For the unbelieving husband is consecrated through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is consecrated through her husband. Mm. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? All right, you and I know Paul's no dummy. I mean, he knows Jesus is the only Savior, but he also recognizes that in Jesus' hands, spouses can be instruments for bringing an unbelieving partner to the waters of baptism and bringing those children to baptism. So, Jesus, he doesn't mind making use of the members of his body to accomplish his will. And boy, if that's true of where one spouse is a Christian and another is unbelieving, then think about what he does with two believing spouses. Hmm. And we know when we go to Ephesians 5, what Paul has to say there about how, how a husband is meant to lay down his life for his wife and a wife submits herself to her husband's mission, and that by doing this, the husband and wife make present the love of Christ for the church, and vice versa. They manifest it, and that Christ's purpose in loving the church is so that he can present himself with a bride who is spotless, blameless, again, immaculate. All right, so if Jesus does this through Christian marriage, I'm suggesting that, yes, the Lord does something just like this through Marian consecration, where we enter into a deep bond of hearts with his mother, and that in this relationship, we are brought to love Jesus more deeply and serve him better, more faithfully. Now, husbands and wives, 
they share their hearts, their lives, their property, everything they, they offer to one another. And by doing that, it does not make an idol out of your spouse. You know, and in the same way, when we consecrate ourselves to Mary, when we entrust ourselves to her, it doesn't make an idol out of her. It's for the same purpose as marriage to become more faithful disciples, to live the life of Christ. Amen. Shane, where in scripture can we point to the idea of sharing another person's heart? Yeah, I love to start with Romans chapter 12, where Paul tells his readers that as members of the body of Christ, they're members of one another. Hmm. But then if we look at the Old Testament, we get this awesome image where Elijah, he's about to be assumed into heaven. And he says to his disciple, Elisha, what can I do for you? Do you need anything? And Elisha says, I pray you, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Hmm. In other words, he wants a double portion of Elijah's receptivity to the spirit of God or a double portion of Elijah's heart. And, and of course, Elijah tells him, if you see me assumed, it's yours. And Elisha does. He sees the fiery chariot and Elijah's mantle falls down and Elisha picks it up and he assumes the role of prophet in Elijah's place. And, and a powerful prophet, he does receive Elijah's heart, you could say. Yeah, that makes sense. The way you explained it, uh, that it's right in scripture. You can't argue with the way you just uh, uh, you just uh, unpack that passage. That, that was good. Just well, thanks, brother. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, the second half of your book focuses on how we live consecration to Jesus in union with Mary. The elements that make up the devotion of the Immaculate Heart, and then you devote a chapter to the scriptural roots of each element. Mm-hmm. Please remind listeners of those six elements. Yeah, the first is that act of consecration, which is really just a simple prayer of joining ourselves with Mary and renewing our baptismal consecration to Jesus in union with her. The second is we, well, okay, if we think of the act of consecration as like marriage vows, okay, we know that that's just a day, the the wedding, it's just a moment in time, but the good stuff is when you live it out. And so how do we live Mary's life? Well, we want to enter into it the same way John did. We want to share her table, share her sustenance. And that means our life is focused on the Eucharist. That's her food. Mm-hmm. And then we want to share her times of prayer. Just like as a faithful Jewess, Mary prayed three times a day. She did that with Jesus throughout her life. And then she did it with John. And so we enter into those times of prayer through the rosary. Next, um, the brown scapular. Mary, she would have made Jesus garments and Joseph's and then John's. And in the same way, the brown scapular is the clothing that she makes for us. Next, we participate in her work of bringing Jesus to others, which we do through acts of penance and our own redemptive suffering. Mary knows redemptive suffering there at the foot of the cross. And and so Jesus, he empowers our suffering and lifts it up into his offering. And finally, we want to share Mary's calendar. So those three times of prayer each day, that's the Angelus. And also the five first Saturday devotion. We hear about it in Fatima, but again, the Saturday, Saturday was the Sabbath that Mary and Jesus shared together throughout their lives. It was their day of intimacy. So 
all of those elements were really entering into Mary's life with Jesus. And I'll tell you, Shane, that the, keeping the five first Saturdays is so important right now that Catholics go back to that devotion, you know, once a year to do the five first Saturdays, because one of the promises is that it, it is, it's going to stave off communism. And that's what we're dealing with right now all over the world. Uh, internationally, you know, here in our country, uh, we're, we're fighting this, uh, the, the hydra of communism and the way we spiritually fight against this and, and push this back and stave it back is by the five first Saturdays. This was a promise from Our Lady and stuff, and we need to go back. Uh, this is Mary's, this is Our Lady's peace plan for the world. Uh, the peace is not going to yes. come through politics. It's not going to come through legislation. It's going to come by Catholics consecrating themselves to Mary and following Mary's peace plan for the world. Amen, brother. You know, Jesse, those first five Saturdays, too, think about what she asked of us. Go to confession. Go to communion. Pray the rosary. Spend time meditating with me on those mysteries. I mean, you're spending, you're devoting the Saturday, the day that Mary and Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. And as I was looking at that in the Old Testament, God says to the Hebrew people that the Sabbath is the sign of your consecration. And, and so that carries over into this wow. first five Saturdays, our entrustment to the Blessed Mother. Wow, there's an there's a Old Testament connection there. Shane, the prayers that make up the rosary, very common to Catholics, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, come from Scripture. But with the rosary not, not emerging until around the 12th century, how can we claim that this prayer of meditation is rooted in the lives of the apostles? Because that's, that's a question that Protestants will bring up all the time. Oh, yeah. And that's a fair question. But what I love to do is point people back to the, the upper room and the nine days between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. And what does the Lord tell them to do? Go back to the upper room and pray. And he sends the apostles there with his mother. And so for nine days, they are praying with Mary and yeah, their prayer is petition, but it's also a great deal of meditation on Scripture. And we see this where Peter, he's looking at the Psalms, and he sees Jesus there, and he sees the band of apostles prophesied there, and he makes that move to replace Judas based upon the Psalms. And then when he gets to Pentecost, and he's out there preaching to the crowd, it is one verse of Scripture after another, how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. I got to believe all those things were percolating in his mind over those nine days. So the apostles are looking at Jesus' life in the light of Scripture in the presence of Mary. Hey, if that ain't the rosary, I don't know what is. I mean, that's mm. the soul of it right there. And so mm. when we pray the rosary today, we are imitating that apostolic practice, and the Lord grants new Pentecost when we do. Wow. Good stuff. You're listening to Shane Kapler. We're talking about his new book, The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. And it's good to see that a fellow Catholic is steeped in Scripture. You can pick up this book from tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. Christmas is right around the corner. Pick up a couple of copies. I'm sure you and I know people that need to be consecrated to Our Lady so that they can draw closer to Jesus Christ and get to heaven one day. Tanbooks.com. The book is called the Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. The author's name is Shane Kepler. Shane, how is the brown scapular rooted in Scripture? Mm. Yeah, that would seem like a 
quite a stretch, you know, <laughs> to say that we can see the scapular there, but the roots of it are. Um, we remember when Jesus was in Palestine, the sick, they would want to come and just touch the tassels on his garment. And when they touched them, they were healed. Those were um, visible, visible things that elicited their faith. So they, they were acting as sacramentals. Well, those tassels on Jesus' cloak, the law commanded that those be sown there. Now, Moses told the Israelites, he, he prophesied that they had to put tassels on the end of their garments, the purpose being that they look at those and they remember to do the Lord's will and not follow after their own hearts. All right, those tassels on Jesus' garment that the sick were touching and being healed, how did they get there? Mary would have sewn them on his garments. And so just as Mary put those tassels on his garments, so now she gives us a garment, the brown scapular. And the purpose is the same, that when we feel it on us, when we catch sight of it in a mirror, we are to remember to follow the Lord's will and not our own hearts. And that is, boy, that's what Mary's all about. Do whatever, whatever he tells you. Um, and so that's the brown scapular. Hey, uh, we're, we're coming up to a hard break. Stick around. We're going to keep talking about this phenomenal book on Marian consecration, the biblical roots of Marian consecration. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Today is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We as Catholics, can you imagine? We don't have to go. We get to go receive Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. What a joy. We'll see you at Mass later on today, uh, Church. Hey, we've got... Uh, a special guest talking about his book, The Biblical Roots of Mary and Consecration. Perfect gift for Christmas. Feed somebody's mind. Feed somebody's soul. Don't give them cologne. That's going to, you know, don't give them something that's going to waste. Give them something that's going to feed the mind. You know, put put uh, steel in the mind. It's a book called The Biblical Roots of Mary and Consecration. It's from 10 books. Author Shane Kepler. I have him on the show right now. Shane, <clears throat> a few more questions. Uh, I'm just wondering, as, as you wrote this book and you compiled all this data, um, I mean, who, who's your favorite Mariologist? Where, where, where did you draw your sources from? Who, who's, whose brain did you filch from the most? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. I'll tell you, um, John Paul II. Okay. Uh, Pope that's Benedict XVI. Okay. That's <laughs> um, and uh, also... Um, Scott Hahn and Brant Petrie. Mm. I love those dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely oh, in the footnotes a lot. Okay. Oh, you, the, you, well, you you went, uh, you went, you drew from the heavy hitters. Yes. Yeah, you drew from the heavy hitters. Good. And you wrote a practical book for the uh, for the common Joe for the blue collar Catholics so that we can understand. Uh, so, let me let me ask you: Where can we see the first Saturday devotion? For, I, I think I already know what you're going to say because you kind of mentioned it already and it's very clear. So, But again, for somebody just tuning in, sure. where can we see the first Saturday devotion foreshadowed in Scripture and in the lives of Jesus and Mary? Okay. Um, Jesse, a lot, of, a lot of people will point to 
Saturday, referring to Holy Saturday being the day that Mary experienced that desolation when Jesus was lost to her. Okay. And I, I acknowledge that. I think that's a that's a beautiful way to connect the first Saturday devotion to Mary. But for me personally, I, I have a different emphasis, and that's that Saturday was the day that Mary and Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. So they set that day apart to worship and then to come back home, have the finest meal of the week together, and then to sit and enjoy one another's company, talk about scripture, pray together. And so on the first Saturday, when we devote that to Mary and do what she asks of us, we're giving her that love that her son gave to her on those days. We could even say that we're allowing Jesus to express his love to his mother through us, through that attention that we are giving her. And that that makes reparation to her immaculate heart for the injustices suffered. Mm. Good stuff, good stuff. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We've got Shane Kapler here. The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration. You can pick up this book by going to tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. What I like about your explanation, again, we live in a Protestant country, and <clears throat> Protestants are always saying, where's that in Scripture? Where's that in Scripture? Uh, I'm I'm seeing and I'm listening that you're leaning very, very deeply in Scripture. You, the roots of your book are in Scripture, and you're mm-hmm. making the case for Mary for this beautiful consecration to Our Lady. And, and uh, again, this would even speak to the Protestant heart because you're not, uh, you know, using poetry. You're not using... Uh, you know, you're not using uh, anecdotes. You're going right to Scripture, and you're making the case from Scripture. And uh, this is this is the way Catholics should speak more and more. Uh, so let me ask you: How does Mary manifest the mystery of redemptive suffering for us? Okay, scripturally, we should look back at Luke chapter two, because when Simeon is prophesying, he talks about Jesus being this light of revelation to the Gentiles. The, the glory of Israel, but then he sees what's coming for him. And he says that he is going to be a sign of contradiction. Hmm. And he looks at Mary and he says, your own, sword, your own soul will be pierced with a sword so that the thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. And so Mary participates. She experiences Jesus' pain in being a sign of contradiction. We think about in the Eucharist when Jesus says, This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And we think, where did his body and blood come from? From Mary. It it was as if he clothed himself in her body and blood and offered himself to the Father for for the world's salvation. Brothers and sisters, he does that with our sufferings too. He clothes himself in our sufferings, and he offers those up to the Father. You know, Jesus, when he was debating with the Pharisees, he said, what is it that is of most value, the gift or the altar that the gift is offered upon? And then he says, it's the altar that makes it sacred. Well, our sufferings, our offerings to the Father, it's because they're joined to Jesus, to his cross, that they become sacred, that they're precious to the Father. It's it's not any value of ours. It all flows from Christ. And so Mary, the way that she manifested this suffering, participating in Jesus' cross, we too do that. 
The Lord makes the sufferings of the members of his body efficacious. He pours out grace to help us deal with that, and that overflows to other members of the body. He says, given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and spilling over. And that's what happens when we unite our sufferings with Christ. It benefits us, and it benefits the souls of others, just like Paul said in Colossians 1.24. You know, going back to John chapter 19, Shane, our lady at the foot of the cross, um, that's where traditionally a lot of people say she received the title Our Lady of Sorrows at the foot of the cross. Yes. Um, there's on, on the, the seven promises of Our Lady of Sorrows, promise number five says this, quote, I will defend them in their spiritual battles with the infernal enemy, and I will protect them at every instant of their lives. Uh, promise number six, I will help them at the moment of their death. They will see the face of their mother. Uh, at the foot of the cross, where she became Our Lady of Sorrows, uh, yeah. this is where this is where Father Ripperger says that our, our Lord, our God gave Our Lady coercive authority and power over Satan. Again, because she was so joined with Jesus in her suffering, this is where uh, the Trinity downloaded uh, her authority wow. and course. Yeah, it's a, it's. But let me let me ask you something about. Um, we have a few minutes left here. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, St. Louis of Montfort's written a book. It's called Preparation for Total Consecration. Oh, yeah. You have Father Gately's written a book. It's called 33 Days to Morning Glory. Mm-hmm. How is your book similar, and how is your book maybe different from some of these other books on Marian consecration? Wow, that's an awesome question, Jesse. Thanks. Um, well, like Father Gately, in the chapters where I'm talking about the elements that go into devotion to the Immaculate Heart, living that out, each chapter ends with a particular saint who exemplifies this. And, and Father Gately does a great job of showing Marian consecration in four different saints. Well, like here, the act of consecration, I look at Maximilian Kolbe mm-hmm. and the way that his consecration led to him giving his life, you know, just as Jesus did for the good of others. And when we look at the rosary, Mother Teresa, the the visions in which Christ called her to her mission and the role of Mary and the rosary in that, um, and the way that Teresa was never seen without a rosary in her hand. She said that that is me holding the hand of Our Lady. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'd say it resembles uh, his book in that aspect. And um, I think that the way that my book would differ from... Father Gately's and for from St. Louis de Montfort's is, by the way, I love de Montfort. I just finished uh, for 15 years. I've been making the 33 day preparation and I renew my consecration on this feast of the Immaculate Conception. So just finished going through St. Mon- Louis de Montfort's method again. Um, but St. Louis, I feel like uh, he spends a great deal of energy on devotion and it's beautiful, but it doesn't really provide a Protestant Christian with a a scriptural foundation for making this act of consecration. He's speaking to people that already have an understanding of the communion of saints. Got it. um, Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was the element that I, I really felt like needed to be addressed. And um, 
I'm so grateful to the Lord for the chance to do that with Tan. It, it was an answer to prayer. Well, yeah, you know, St. Louis de Montfort probably wrote the book, maybe probably in, 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 a, in a Catholic culture, in a Catholic milieu. Yeah. Uh, you're writing the book here in a Protestant country. I mean, most Christians are Protestant Christians. Uh, they're 40,000 denominations. So if we're going to effectively communicate the gospel, the Catholic gospel to them, we have to write it in the language that they're going to receive it in, which is Scripture. And you did a marvelous job. God bless you. Um, Thanks, brother. And um, and thank. Any other thoughts you want to mention? Uh, any summation, uh, concluding thoughts about the book uh, before we wrap it up? Got about a minute. Sure. When I'm talking with my Protestant friends and they ask me what the book's about, I say it's about coming to love Jesus with the heart of His mother, her passionate, pure heart, and receiving Him into me. And then loving everyone else with Christ's sacred heart. To me, that's Marian consecration in a nutshell. And it's uh, that probably uh, speaks to their heart because, again, uh, one of the things that Protestants are big about is, uh, you know, they'll always say it. Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? I mean, that's big yeah. for them. You know what I'm saying? That's that's their that's their 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 catch-all phrase. Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? And uh, that's good that you're writing a book that, yeah, <laughs> I'm accepting Jesus Christ into my heart through his lady, through, through his mother. Uh, Amen. So, and again, all the, all the biblical connections that you made, especially that one, uh, our ladies, you know, the, the, the disciple has t- took her into his own home. As you got some very powerful arguments to show that uh, this is what every Christian should be doing, not only Catholics, but Protestants and even and, uh, and Orthodox as well. Good, Jesse, good, thank you. Good job, Shane. God bless you, my friend. And uh, God bless you. We'll be united in our daily rosary. We'll be united in uh, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Good job. Hey, pick up your book, Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration, 10books.com. And uh, we'll have to have you on again, Shane. God bless you, my friend. Love you. Bye-bye. You got it, buddy. <clears throat> You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Remember, today is the the feast day of the Immaculate Conception, the solemnity, should I say, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We'll see you at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. What a gift, the Eucharist. What a gift, Our Lady. What a gift to be Catholic. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. You weren't made to fit in. You were born to stand out. St. Father Pio said, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and God will hear your prayer. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel.